attention to your past experiences in life, uh, the answers to what's in front of you and what's ahead have often already been provided. Welcome to the Stratfor Pen and Sword podcast. I'm Fred Burton. Today I'm checking in with David Lawrence, the founder and chief collaborative officer at RAIN, which is the Risk Assistance Network and Exchange. Prior to RAIN, David was an associate general counsel and managing director at Goldman Sachs, and he has held various executive positions at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. David, thank you for calling into the podcast today. Fred, it's an honor. Great to be with you. Tell me a little bit about RAIN. So um, there's a little bit of a, a journey involved in RAIN. And among the things that um, I've tried to explain to people to understand, you know, it's sort of the four questions. What is it? Why we're doing it? With whom we're doing it? And why now? I've been very, very fortunate and quite frankly blessed throughout my career uh, to not have to be uh, the smartest person in the room but to be exposed to the rooms that had some of the smartest people. And that started from the time I got out of law school, was at a leading law firm while I got you all. Lucky enough to be accepted at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, where I also had the opportunity to serve as one of the heads of the criminal division, and then at Goldman Sachs for 20 plus years. And if there were a sort of consistent theme to my career is it is that I had the opportunity to not only live through a variety of different situations, some of which were sort of broad and impactful to the world, but also um, involving a number of very important clients and relationships and cases um, when I was a prosecutor. Uh, But I had the opportunity to learn through those situations. Uh, I'll give you sort of a thesis, which I've adopted, which is our problems are not intractable. They just seem that way. What has been intractable have been our approaches to gaining access to the information and the expertise that we need to more effectively and more efficiently resolve those problems. That is the essence of RAIN. It's sort of a a tripod. One is to ensure that enterprises and the individuals who lead them, whether in the public or private sector, as well as the personnel that they have to protect, whether they're in the you know, leading government agencies or corporate institutions or NGOs or not-for-profits have better access to information and expertise than they ordinarily would have, and to receive that on an independent and unbiased basis. And then the other side of that is to ensure that some of the smartest people in the world who are actually solving problems, collaborating, working together, that they can find a way into the marketplace so that people can access what they've been doing. Third parties to drive collaboration between the public and private sector. And that's the essence of RAIN. And I like to quote uh, Bill Joy, the founder of Sun Microsystem, who recognized a number of years ago that the smartest people don't necessarily work for you. And that if you're going to resolve some of the most significant problems in an increasingly complex world, you have to figure out how to find them and you have to figure out how to work with them. And that's the essence of RAIN. That's well said, David. How did you come to put RAIN together, meaning from a business perspective? What was the thought process and just how did you put it together? Well, again, it's derivative, Fred. My having had, whether serendipitous or accidental, exposure to great people and great companies and great agencies and what people were actually trying to do. Again, uh, I like to 
tied to the Rolling Stones, a, a, a band that's been together for 50 years. And um, they recognized that together they were far more effective than they were doing pursuing individual careers and albums. I like to refer to two songs that I happen to love, which is Street Fighting Man and Jumpin' Jack Flash, which if you listen carefully, you, you can see the common DNA between the two. <laughs> and so one um, consistent theme here is that there is information out there and expertise out there that has not yet been organized or curated, necessarily threaded. So if I can just start with, uh, as a young associate at uh, Wild Gotchall, in the days where there really was very little online research and associates at the law libraries and they waited for official publications or reporting cases. I was working on a very, very complex and highly sensitive matter for a leading industrial company. And I'm a well-person on the totem pole. And early on, I learned from a professor in corporations at law school who explained to the class that we'd probably forget everything he was going to teach, but he wanted us to remember one thing, which was to read the Wall Street Journal, that you'll never understand business and you'll never understand the issues unless you were essentially re referring to a daily Bible that he referred to as the Wall Street Journal. And in this particular matter, having learned how to read the Wall Street Journal and followed it on a daily basis. There was a very, very small column reporting a case that otherwise had not been reported in the law books yet. It was about 10 or 12 lines, but it was directly relevant to the sensitive matter we were handling. He uh, learned a court decision and helped to establish precedents that was certainly directly relevant to the case. And as a young associate, I was the only one who had seen that. And I was far from being the brightest person around the table of great lawyers and great corporate leaders. But the uh, blind squirrel found an acorn, and I was able to bring it home. And I realized then it had such an impact on the case. It was so well appreciated, and people couldn't believe that I had found it and all that kind of undeserved praise. And I, all I had done was read what I was ordinarily reading. But I realized that the ability to bring information to bear on a situation often had a profound impact. And that case resolved itself in, in the way it should have resolved itself. And carrying that forward into the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, I recognized that there were many things that, you know, we're very fortunate to live in an open society, freedom of press, freedom of speech, freedom of association, and obviously uh, the ability to continue our own educational process almost on a free basis. If you have a wide bandwidth, and it, it's become even wider, obviously, with the Internet and other sources of information and cable. If you continue to listen and to read and to keep your eyes open, you can continue to be smarter and more thoughtful and more effective. And so one of the things I realized at the U.S. Attorney's Office is that we then had a lot of great tabloids in New York City and we were reporting on all sorts of potential issues of fraud and corruption and organized crime and widespread narcotics trafficking in various neighborhoods. And by just pulling these articles together and circulating it broadly to the, within the criminal division of the U.S. Attorney's Office, we often had meaningful leads. That's amazing. And it was that process that, that drove a lot of the channels. Uh, that tradition continued at uh, Goldman Sachs. And, but the thing I, I'd, I'd love to impress upon your audience is the value of an open society, the value of information that is open source, that is not necessarily seen or read or understood or necessarily easily accessible. 
And then if we can pull that together, and when I say information, I mean not just information, it is raw form, but the people behind that information, the great minds that are creating it or being covered by it, that that is the great efficiency and the great public service that can be brought to bear around some of our most significant societal risks and issues, the things that we constantly struggle that make a big, big impact on people's lives. David, you've been so successful with RAIN, and what do you think is your most important lesson you've learned when it comes to serving your clients? That's a great question, Fred, and uh, I'm gonna, going to invoke my um, grandfather, who was a remarkable man, first generation here in America, and finished at the top of his class at City University, and, and uh, then went on to Columbia Medical School, became one of the heads of radiology at NYU. And as his uh, first grandchild and showing a bit of scientific aptitude, he had aspirations that I too would put on a white coat and he used to bring me to the hospital and at least convince me I was reading x-rays and such. And obviously somewhere in college, I got distracted and uh, uh, became a lawyer instead of a doctor. Um, <laughs> so it was, a, it was a bit of a setback, but he was very proud of me. But, but he, told me, he told me things that, and maybe many of your listeners have this, experiences as as well, is that if you pay close enough attention to your past experiences in life, uh, the answers to what's in front of you and what's ahead have often already been provided. But my grandfather used to impart upon me, uh, number one, uh, nobody ever learned anything by speaking. So he (laughs) told me to listen. And and then when I got old enough, I had a retort for him. And I said, well, if if I don't speak, how can I ask the questions and, and therefore learn even more? And then he quickly retorted that if you're quiet long enough, your questions get answered on their own. So just, you know, <laughs> listen. And that applied to also listening to a patient. A uh, patient would also often come and talk about what he or she felt was problems A and B. But if you listen carefully, you'd realize that it was also about C, D, and E. And just the simple value of listening to people, people felt better by being able to speak to someone about what was on their mind or troubling and to do so in a way in which empathy was very clearly on the table and confidences were preserved, which is the essence of an attorney-client relationship as well as a doctor-patient and priest-penitent and journalist-source, et cetera. But the ability to listen and to think through and to spend the time and for people to understand that you're not here for the opportunistic moment that life really is about a series of long-standing relationships and the ability to convey to people that you're not here simply for the moment, but you're going to stay with them. We'll get past this, this particular issue or problem, help them think through things more intelligently. Sometimes, as you know, people will get to the right decision and they'll bring their own experience to bear. So it's not just simply advice you're giving, you're just helping that process along. And that, you know, even after that particular moment, you're thinking about what they're going through, what they're experiencing, what they might be experiencing, and you're coming back to them. So, Fred, that lesson, in my view, plays out time and time again. And if I can just give you a quick digression about what sparked the idea of RAIN, is that Goldman um, opened me and our group up to the client base, the alumni network relationships they were trying to form. And we became a bit of an internal consulting arm of the firm. And the firm obviously had expertise in a deep bench on a global level in so many areas. 
clients were encouraged to call us even if there was no transaction in front of Goldman. So I would get calls about CEOs having sort of difficult moments. Sometimes they might have been arrested, but you know there was a situation that certainly comes to mind about a CEO being kidnapped in an early Saturday morning call because they weren't comfortable with the way the FBI and the police were responding. A ship being hijacked over off the coast of Somalia and whether they should negotiate one of the first cyber attacks on a major company, issues around Fukushima and the consequences and the risks. Then there were also somewhat more pedestrian questions, uh, such as uh, my son or daughter is going to be studying in some other location for the semester. Do I have to be concerned? And if so, is there any support that can be given to me? One of my favorite inquiries was an early Saturday morning call from a uh, very, very respected and brilliant general counsel who will go unnamed, but he called early Saturday morning. He said, David, hopefully I didn't wake you. I was going to leave your voicemail. He said, did I wake you up? And I said, no, I had to, what's up? And his particular problem was his daughter had been studying in London and couldn't find her passport. And uh, her flight was going to leave in about three hours. And he was driving to some amusement park with his his other kids and Mm -hmm. obviously was taking the panic calls in in the car. And uh, the bottom line, you know, was how quickly it was a Saturday. So there was no way you're going to get a replacement for it and stuff. And fortunately, you know, she was able to stay at the hotel and and such. Uh, But I uh, suggested to him and she apparently looked everywhere throughout the hotel. uh, I suggested to him to ask her to look in the the garbage bins of her room or the bathroom just in case. And he calls me back 15 minutes later. She found it. It was where you said it was. And he said, did you have a camera in the room? I said, no, but I've raised kids before before and I've made the same mistake. But the bottom line is my wife used to hear the back ends of these calls and she never understood why people are calling me and because she doesn't trust me to put bottles in the right uh, receptacles for various environmental purposes. And, <laughs> and why do people do this? And why do they trust me? And, it, and I was actually listening to them and I was helping them think through their issues and stay with them until it was resolved. And most importantly, introducing them to information and experts that were within my bandwidth of, of relationships that they hadn't met. And they were very, very pleased with the outcome and results. And it was sort of out of that that Rain was developed. The notion of a collaborative platform built broadly in the public interest with capital that can help sustain the efforts and continue to think through the problems, the issues, the great experts who are out there, the sources of information, and to keep this as a, I'll call it a growing community in exchange. So the opportunity to work with your great people and your great organization, and I'll call it not only the DNA, but your mindset, your collective mindsets around solving people's problems is truly honor, privilege, and it makes, it makes my retirement from Goldman Sachs uh, that much more worthwhile and uh, validated. We'll get back to our conversation with David Lawrence, the founder of Rain, in just a moment. But I wanted to speak to you first about why I think Stratfor's content is an extraordinary opportunity in these strange times. The real-time challenges of living in an increasingly interconnected world have rarely been more clearly on display as they have in 2020. The coronavirus pandemic has affected every single aspect of government, business, life, and technology. How we manage these risks has direct implications for the broader public interest. Right now, individuals and businesses are turning to Stratfor and RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. 
Podcast listeners can take advantage of a special subscription rate by checking out stratford.com slash podcast offer. That's stratford.com slash podcast offer. Thanks. Well, you're very kind, David. And I know you and I chat all the time uh, about uh, world events. And certainly we're talking about coronavirus and we have an upcoming webinar where we're going to be talking about this. What's your take on New York City? Actually, not only a, a very good question, Fred, it's a, at least in my view, it's a very profound question because uh, there's what's already happened, there's what's unfolding on a day-to-day basis, and then, of course, the long-term um, consequences. And there's a question that you know I've, I've now invoked um, several times with clients which is whether they understand the difference between uh, a recession and a depression. A recession is where when someone that you know loses their job, and a depression is when you lose your job. And how you feel about certain things depends very much on sort of where you sit. From ground zero, it's one of the reasons why I, I take long walks and do calls and keep my eyes open, just try to get to different parts of the city to see what is actually going on and how people, at least outwardly, are, are, are faring. And I believe coming out of this, not only will there be some very, very important lessons that we all need to learn uh, so that certain situations don't repeat themselves, but I would also say to you that while people talk about this as being an event without precedent, I actually think it's just to the contrary. In magnitude and consequence, we'll, we'll measure this history books say no. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the risk of pandemics. I'm talking about the types of things that truly impact everyone and that have first and second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth orders of consequences. And that in turn tell us not only about a particular event, but they these types of things also speak volumes about ourselves and how we think about risks how we think about preparation and we think about issues of community and response and what we owe to our children and grandchildren and generations yet to be born. And what, quite frankly, we owe to people who, you know, helped build this country and protect it in the past. And so what I would say to you is nobody knows how bad this is. I will tell you our failure to test and have effective tests means that the, whatever data we're looking at from a number standpoint is, I think, largely irrelevant, except for hospitalizations. There are people who have passed away that no one will know the actual and true cause of death. But what is unacceptable, and you know, the leaders of, uh, of state, city, and federal government have, have acknowledged this, is the lack of equipment, technology, support that was needed in this time of crisis. There is no reason why states are bidding against each other and driving the price of essential goods and services up uh, simply because of scarcity. We don't have the effective means of getting what, what is needed to particular locations. What is also very, very clear is that you have incredibly selfless people, not just in the hospitals and police and fire and sanitation, but the people who are actually delivering essential goods and services that are keeping people alive and safe in their homes, and whether these are groceries or pharmaceuticals or transportation services, 
there are people here who are not fully being recognized and their exposures are just sort of coming to the forefront. You know, clearly the consequences to a wide swath of population in a city that was built upon attracting people from all over the world to work, to play, to visit, to observe. And because we're a vertical venue with people packed in, the impact of this is sort of, we are here in New York, I think the canaries in the coal mine, unfortunately not so much for warning because, you know, that came too late, but for certainly understanding the impact and first through 10th orders of consequences are around this. And one of the things that gives me optimism and faith beyond the fact that I see people outside with their children and playing, and I saw a mother teaching her son how to ride a bike, all of which at a safe social distance, by the way, was every night at seven o'clock, you can hear applause and people banging pots and pans and making other noises to recognize, to honor, and to demonstrate some semblance of appreciation for everybody who is helping to keep this community together here in New York. Each night, Fred, it seems to be going on longer and longer. And so when you ask me how bad is it in New York, numbers will tell the tale, the news will tell the tale, but there's also a lot that needs to be understood and lessons that better not be forgotten and things that I hope to accomplish through the com combination of rain and Stratfor that can make the management of this, of the next issue, a lot easier. And fortunately, I'm working with some unbelievably talented people. These are leading experts who are sharing what they know and not just sharing the insights around the data, but practical steps of what people, families, organizations, institutions, government agencies can and are able to do even under trying circumstances. Well said, David. I want to thank you for coming by the Stratfor podcast today. Again, a privilege, honor, Fred. I've known of you for a long time, read and heard, you know, things that you've you've said, so much like the uh, core into sports talk radio. Um, in many ways, I'm still a first time caller and a long time listener. And I thank you for your continued public service. Thank you. David Lawrence is the founder of Rain Risk Assistance Network and Exchange, and Stratfor is a rain company. Together, we help you understand the why behind what's happening now, because what happens next, well, that's up to you. You can find out about rain for businesses at rainnetwork.com. You can find out more about Stratfor at stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's stratfor.com slash podcast offer. I'm Fred Burton. And thank you for listening. <music>